Welcome to the Self-Made Expert Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Morgan, and I love speaking with people who are cultivating economically valuable expertise outside the world of academia and the licensed professions. Some of these conversations end up on this podcast. You can learn more about my work helping indie consultants build an expertise moat at philipmorganconsulting.com. Jonathan Stark, I think this is the third time I've interviewed you. Welcome. I think you're right. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me again. Yeah. Um, so let's set up some context here. Um, you uh, launched a um, a business in mobile strategy consulting because you got a degree in college in mobile strategy consulting, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even think that exists now. I am pretty I'd sure it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you did uh, launch a, a successful business in mobile strategy consulting, and that's the first thing I want to dig into you with your story of self-made expertise is, is how that happened. So can you kind of take me back to, um, you know, the sort of embryonic stages of that business whenever that was? Sure. There was even one before that that you don't even know about, I don't think. Really? Yeah, which was um, FileMaker. So uh, I don't know how far back you want to go, but it's uh, there's actually three examples of me doing this. Okay, yeah. let's start with FileMaker then. Okay, so I'll I'll try and go through this really quickly. So I was doing graphic design. I, I was a music. My my actual college degree is from <laughs> Berkeley College of Music, and I have a uh, a degree in songwriting, a double major in songwriting and music music business. Okay, and if, while doing that this was a long time ago, you know, trying to get people to come to shows involved going to Kinko's and printing out physical postcards. And I would design those physical postcards on a borrowed, you know, comically fat laptop that I got from a friend and, <laughs> and <clears throat> collage things together. And started. anyway, so yeah. I had a lot of um, association with computers. Uh, when I was a little kid, I, I had early access to an I, the original IBM PC. Mm -hmm. And I, so I had some skills with computers. Uh, I managed our mailing list in a database, you know, in, in Microsoft Access. Uh -huh. Your, your band forward. mailing list? Is that what you're talking band about? Mailing okay. yes, band nice. mailing list. Yes. <laughs> and uh, fast forward to, um, you know, bills, got older, had bills and needed to make ends meet and somehow started temping doing a uh, desktop program called Quark Express. Mm -hmm. uh, I got, nah, I don't want to go into it. I got really good at Quark Express. No one cared, um, but yeah. everyone did care when I created, uh, using FileMaker, I created a database using the kind of skills I learned from dorking around with Access mm -hmm. um, that would automatically do my Quark work. Mm. So I got really good at doing Quark. I understood how it worked and it became rote. And at that point I created a database to do it for me. So like FileMaker is very, very powerful in a particular way. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a subject, subject matter expert, you can make lots of automations very easy. Mm -hmm. So I did that, that got a lot of attention. I uh, left that job and started doing FileMaker consulting with a, uh, I went in-house with a consulting firm. I'd never been a consultant or a freelancer on my own. Mm -hmm. um, so I went and did that for a while and that went really well. And the specialization that I ended up doing uh, when I started to get sick of FileMaker, I, I got sick of FileMaker after a while. I felt like I'd learned everything there was to learn. Yeah. And that sort of last little bit was, only, you know, like once a month I'd be like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, it just wasn't that fun anymore. Yeah. But the web was becoming really big around then. So I just, I, I actually decided I'm going to be the FileMaker web guy. I wanted to learn the web. I just wanted to. Mm -hmm. um, FileMaker didn't. FileMaker does not come installed on every computer or other device like a browser does. And I was always bummed out that you know I couldn't build something and have my mom see it. Mm -hmm. So I always wanted to be uh, doing the web stuff, even when I was doing FileMaker. So I just decided I'm going to be this intersection between FileMaker and the web. And uh, that was my first book. So I, I started blogging about that and Sam's publishing reached out to me because of my blog and said, Hey, we want to write a book. want someone to write a book about this. Would you do it? So and let's it as simple as that. Yeah. Except probably not if we dig into it. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's more to it than just 
I just decided. Um, although I don't know, maybe we'll see. Yeah. So what time frame are we talking about here? I, th I think it was 2005-ish. Okay. So mid-2000. You, what got you interested in the web? Uh, that is hard to answer. Um, I, I remember the first time I saw a web page. It was on that same my, my the same friend who I borrowed the, the chubby laptop from was the first person to show me the internet. And he's you know he had this clunky you know cathode ray tube monitor, mm -hmm. and he's showing me what looked like a word document, which I was familiar with. Mm -hmm. And and he's like, look at look at this, and I'm like, what big deal? <laughs> Like, it's not on this computer. And I was like, what do you mean it's not on this computer? And he's like, he's like pointing to the dial-up modem wires. He's like, it's on somebody else's computer. I'm just looking at it. Like, this was a radical concept, radical concept at the time. So this would have been like a, a bulletin board system or a CompuServe? I or... No, I think it was an early web page, actually. Okay, so a little after that era. Got it. Yeah, I was, a little, I was actually a little late to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would, I was doing music. I was in a, I was literally living in a van for yeah. a year. I, I, it was not, I, their entire, like I never saw friends or barely saw any Seinfeld. I was like not connected at all. Yeah. Yeah. Even to mainstream media. And so when I saw this, it was probably a little late in the game, but as soon as I saw it, my head, I, like as soon as I understood what he was saying, I was like, you know, I was a musician at the time. I was a struggling musician. I was like, this means radio doesn't matter anymore. I immediately had that thought. Okay, this, like, does, this means radio doesn't matter anymore. Right. And that came from, from seeing yeah. that, you know, one computer could access things from another computer. Yeah, I was like, can you put audio files on here? He's like, yeah. I was like, radio no longer matters. Huh. I was a little early. <laughs> <laughs> Napster was still far in the future, but. Well, you and I are both on Bob Lefset's email list, and he's like, yeah. that's the drum he's beating over and over again. It's like terrestrial radio is essentially, he would say dead, I guess. You know, that's yeah, overstating I mean, it's, it. Come on. A little, but but it's, it ain't what it was. Yeah, it's it's gravitas is gone. So, I mean, as you think back on that, you were one hundred percent right. Why do you think you were right about that? I think that's a really good question. I almost said I just knew, but the, why did I just know? The reason I just knew is because I had a giant problem at the time. Okay, which was no one would play my terrible songs. <laughs> so. I had this huge problem. How do I get my terrible songs to people who can tell me they, they lie to me and say they like them? Okay. And, and there was no way to do it. So I had this huge problem. And as soon as I saw this, I was like, ah, this solves that problem. And I got very excited about it because, you know, because I suppose that's the reason, you know, it like solved a problem I had. Okay. I didn't like think, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't like, oh, I'm going to, you know, create a blog and sell ads. Like I didn't see anything like that. It just, it, it, I saw one particular application of this platform that was going to be very, that was, that was a door opening that it was like, it was like a castle wall crumbling in front of me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this changes everything for me. Interesting. So what, what did you do as a result of that, that realization that you felt pretty sure about? Like you, you weren't like, oh, this might be good. You were like, this is the future. <laughs> this is going to change right. at least radio. Um, so what did you do next? Uh, I was still, you know, it was, it was like, uh, I was still pretty clueless about, about it. You know, I mean, the, the most basic understanding of what was actually going on. I didn't, I, I'm sure I had never heard the acronym HTML at that time. Mm -hmm. um, the, I remember years later, the first time I saw JavaScript, but what it did was it rekindled a, a, an always there excitement in computers. I always, I always liked computers. Yeah. Um, I, but, but the extent of my programming skills were basically like, you know, basic go to line 30 mm -hmm. and a little bit of Pascal, but okay. nothing to speak of, but, mm -hmm. but it was there. And then I had done this sort of database programming uh, around that time I had been doing mailing list stuff. So I was familiar with like, I'm telling you the most basic kind of SQL commands, but mm -hmm. I just didn't feel scared of computers. Yeah. I was completely a script kitty, but I, I just wasn't scared of computers. And I saw what they did because I was, 
was literally going to Kinko's and spending money to do stuff with physical, you know, I'm like zooming in and zooming out with Xerox machines. People probably don't even have people listening. Probably don't even know what I'm talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. You make a photocopy of something and you tell it to make it bigger. Yeah. And you had to do that because you're working with physical objects to design your, your band posters that were going to get stapled to telephone poles. Right. Yeah, literally. Yeah. I'm cutting stuff out of magazines to make funny flyers and postcards that I literally walked around and stapled to telephone poles. Yeah. And there's, you know, massive costs there. Even for somebody who has lots of free time, that's not, that's not that fun. It sounds fun. I know it sounds fun, <laughs> but uh, walking around with a staple gun and uh, a, you know, a, a newspaper bag full of flyers is, and then going to the show and, and barely anyone showing up right. is really, really painful. So I had a huge pain and the, the internet promised to solve a lot of that stuff. And it in fact did. Got it. So, so I was really excited about it and I wasn't scared of computers. So I think those two things combined to get me more interested in it. So we move a little forward on the timeline and you are FileMaker guy now and you want to become FileMaker web guy. Right. What was, what were you thinking at that time? Like what made that seem like the right next move? Uh, I had established a, a reputation for myself in the sort of straight up, straight up FileMaker space by speaking at the the one big conference mm -hmm. and um, writing a monthly column in uh, the the one trade publication. Mm -hmm. So I was well known as like a tips and trick person. Okay. Not, certainly not the most famous, and certainly not the best, but I I was a name that people recognized. But it was one of many, you know, and. And, and I really was getting, it felt, it felt too easy. It wasn't interesting anymore. I was like, Oh, I could do another article about like portal sorting. And I, I know everyone's going to love it, mm -hmm. but it was boring to me. And I really wanted to learn uh, web and, Oh, you know what? I think it was right when PHP four came out, which I think was 2003 when I started on my first PHP book. Mm-hmm. And I just, I, I can't, I can't explain why I loved it. It's just one of those things I loved. You know, I just recognized that I loved it. It gave it made me feel like, uh, all the things about the web, you know, it made me feel like I had power. Yeah. Like I had, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. At the time it was probably 2 billion people connected or who knows mm -hmm. a lot, but you know, Netscape was already a thing. IE was already a thing. And I think Safari was not out yet, mm -hmm. but it was a thing. Everybody had a browser on their computer. If you had a computer, it had a browser. Not mm -hmm. everyone was connected, but AOL, whatever. Yeah. And I was like, look, this is, this is like, I, I don't know. I was just, it was just exciting. I felt like I had something to say and I just wanted to be able to, I just wanted to be able to share the stuff I built with basically anybody. I didn't want you to have to go buy file, the FileMaker client application and download it and install it and go through that whole shenanigan and then like connect to a server. It was very, it was a lot of friction and it didn't make sense. Um, it, I don't know. I was just like really passionate about the web, probably because of that intersection between like, you know, the, the effect that the web has on gatekeepers, which is to essentially go around them. Yeah. And I, I think that passion combined with my lack of fear for computers is what kindled that excitement, that passion, that feeling of power and, and, and autonomy. So I just wanted to know everything about it. I wanted to like, I wanted to like make it, I just wanted to know everything about it. But I knew that that web development was already a very popular space at that time. Uh, Rails hadn't quite come out yet, mm -hmm. but PHP was very popular. And there's a lot of spaghetti code websites, but still uh, JavaScript wasn't really that big of a thing yet. Mm -hmm. But I knew that it was a busy enough space and I wasn't that great at it that if I jumped straight into web development and left FileMaker behind, I was going to have a really hard time. So I wanted to keep one foot in both worlds. And I specific, I remember, I, I know I specifically, <laughs> I remember it clearly, but I can also prove it because the name of my book, uh, at the Sam's book was... Um, web publishing with PHP and FileMaker. And I specifically wanted them, I, I thought about it with the publisher. I, they wanted it to be called FileMaker and PHP. And mm -hmm. I said, no, I want PHP first in the title. Mm. I want it to be a PHP book that, that where PHP talks to FileMaker. I want it to come across as I'm some kind of PHP expert more so than FileMaker. I wanted PHP to have the emphasis. Mm. And it was very conscious. 
because I knew what I was doing was going from, I had established a reputation in the FileMaker space. I wanted to be in the web space. So I took a half pivot basically and said, oh, I'm going to be the FileMaker web guy and started blogging about it uh, because I knew it wouldn't be competitive otherwise. Yeah. And it totally worked. There was only one or two other people who had any kind of any uh, one or uh, there was, I think two other people, maybe, maybe three besides me that were well-known in the FileMaker space and knew what was going on in a web browser. So it was an incredibly small pool of competition. So let let me stop you there and kind of zoom back a little bit. Um, There were, or will be a few folks listening who, who don't know you as well as I do. <laughs> so uh, would you describe yourself as more of an introvert or an extrovert? Uh, that's a hard question. I'm, I, I, I'm going to cheat and stay in the middle. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I have no social anxiety whatsoever, mm-hmm. but I need lots of alone time to recharge. Mm. So like I'm, I mean, I mean, I used to go up on stage and play guitar and sing. Like that's probably other than stand up comedy. That's, probably the most naked you're ever going to feel. Yeah. And, you know, so I can't say I'm an introvert, but I kind of do want to say I'm an introvert. I like, I have no problem um, being by myself at all. I'm not, I'm comfortable in either scenario. I think left to my own devices. Uh, I skew towards very small groups of friends. I'd much rather go to like a small dinner party than a giant thing. Yeah. I'd I'd rather not be on stage, but I'm totally comfortable doing it. So I don't know. It's a non-answer somewhere in the middle. When I make a list of people who have <clears throat> issues with confidence, you are not on that list, Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> you seem like you come across as a very confident uh, person. And w- was that a characteristic that you had in these early days, uh, days of your career? Uh, I have always been opinionated. Um, I can look back at lots of opinions I've had that I think are hundred percent wrong, but it's never. wasn't a problem at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of the same way. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, yeah, I'd call myself opinionated. I also have a definite, um, I don't just take, status quo at face value. Like I remember, I remember the day I learned why it's smart to have a hamper, a laundry hamper. Like I'm not going to have it. Why, why do we need a hamper? That's silly. And then one day I actually realized like, Oh, if you don't put your clothes in a hamper, it makes your actual room smell. You can't just leave them on the floor. Like, Oh, there's a reason. Now I'll start <laughs> like but, I have to learn everything the hard way. Like I have to blow my foot off and be like, Oh, that's why you don't do that. Yeah. I feel like I understand you a little better now. Because um, I almost feel like I'm the same way where my default assumption is, no, everybody else is wrong. Yeah. All these, you know, customs that everybody has embraced, uh, they're just, you know, a sort of mass delusion. And, and until I prove it to myself that it has value, uh, it's easy for me to dismiss it. And it sounds like a little bit of the same thing's going on with you. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I, have to, I question everything. How, what, what would you say is, is perhaps the biggest risk you've taken in your, let's just say in your career. Mm, I'm actually fairly risk averse. So I, I take calculated risks. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like the foot in both worlds thing. I guess uh, I wasn't totally trying to set you up for this, but you know, the foot in both worlds move from FileMaker to the web was a, a smart risk mitigation strategy. Yeah. So like, it's hard to, it's hard I mean, I do things all the time that might not work, Mm -hmm. but I do hedge my bets. Mm -hmm. Like I don't go all in and like, I mean, especially now I've got kids and stuff, but like even back then I don't have like a death wish, you know, like a risk wish. Like I, I don't, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I'm not a gambler. I've been to Vegas dozens of times. I've bet exactly once Mm-hmm. exactly once. And I was like, that was stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like I'm not, I don't get off on that. I'm not a startup guy. Um, I, I really, I have a pretty low risk tolerance. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely a look before your leap type of person, but, but I'm not a procrastinator, well, a little bit of a procrastinator, but I know plenty of people who are worse. So I guess I'd sort of say I'm sort of in the middle Yeah, and I come up with I, the, my superpower is that I'll, I can see the objective. I have a, I'll have a vision. Uh-huh. This is what I need to do. And, 
and it's and that that's the most mysterious part for to me it's the toughest part to explain somehow i see it i i need to do this thing next and then i come up with a plan so is it a risk yeah might it fail sure but i just don't put all my eggs in that basket mm-hmm. so i'll do like a sort of a like i said before a half pivot mm-hmm. the toughest one i've done is the most recent one because the half pivot i did most recently changed it wasn't a half pivot it was a full pivot it was from it was from doing mobile consulting work client mobile consulting client work to which is which is very much b2b into something that's more akin to a b2c so you know price consulting mm-hmm. so i completely changed my audience where in the past i've always brought my audience along with me so the audience uh, you know the filemaker people then I moved into web and that moved into straight web. And then I moved into when mobile came out and I was just like mobile web. So it was like these half, half pivots every time. And uh, like, if you look at the, all of the tech books that I've written, they, they make sense. There's like a, a progression that you see. And then mm-hmm. like when I released hourly billing as nuts, it was like needle scratch, like what? <laughs> right. You know, for, for so. the audience that would have been your core audience at that time it was like out of left field for them. Right. Yeah. Um, right. And even though it makes, it makes sense when you hear the story, Yeah. but I, instead of going down farther down a path, I went up instead of going like, instead of a lateral move, I went in like a, a different access. Yeah. So it was like, wait a minute, what? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it makes sense because I've been billing by the hour doing all of this software stuff along the way. So it, it, there's a connection there and it's a long one, but, uh, for people, people like people have the tendency to pigeonhole, uh, other people as like a thing like, Oh, that's the FileMaker web guy, or that's the mobile web guy, or that's the JQ touch guy or whatever different things have been called. And to suddenly be like something that's not even obviously tech related on the surface is like a huge head scratcher. So that's, that's probably the riskiest thing I've done in mm. my entire career. We're going to dig into that in a minute. Um, I want to talk about how time has functioned across these changes. So you've made these, uh, I, I think of the Frogger game, you know, when you <laughs> leapt from one uh, lily pad to the next, it was like, yeah. it was right there. It was the adjacent to lily pad. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's a smart risk mitigation strategy. That's like building on a head start and seeing where that could take you. Um, as you were making these changes, how did you, what were the leading indicators that it was resonating? That it was resonating. Okay. Or that, you know, that the lily pad was going to support your weight or how, however yep. you want to think yeah, about it. it. Well, I was following the hype cycle in, in some sense. Mm-hmm. So I was staying on the leading edge. Like if I was going to do it again, it would have been, you know, if I, and I was going to just sort of progress Yeah. Uh, for mobile, I was actually doing it. I was, I was starting to um, test the waters with wearables and voice interfaces. Right. This is, this is just for the audience. This is much more recently that you're talking about. This is when you yeah, s- so, started to sense the kind of the gas coming out of the, uh, the mobile consulting balloon, yeah. right? Yeah. Mobile, mobile reached the plateau. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it, uh, every new phone was basically the same, uh, incremental, incremental improvements only no new innovations. Yeah. The form is defined, right? It's done. It either has these things or it's not a phone. So it, it it's basically, it's the, the end, like all of the, we got to the laggards basically mm-hmm. in crossing the chasm terms, we yeah. got to the laggards. Like, so people who, so people who I was selling to, were the people who have been resisting the idea of moving to mobile for 10 years. Oh, they're, so they're they a joy to sell to, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're just, they don't want to do it. They don't want to spend the money. They're getting ready to retire. They don't want to make a big bet. Um, it's, it feels very scary. And in fact, it is very risky for them because they're going to approach it in the wrong way and all of these things. Yeah. So that got really tedious. Uh, and the, the two obvious things for me that were a half pivot were voice interfaces and uh, wearables and wearables mm-hmm. turned out to be to poop, you know, that would have been 
it, uh, not great voice is much much more clearly the one that's catching on yeah and uh, at the time it wasn't obvious which was which there was also um, touchless gestures for a little while so I kind mm -hmm. of experimented with those things and you know you do the thing you blog about it you talk about it you suggest a talk at a conference you do a talk you work it into a talk about something that's a little bit more in your wheelhouse and say, you know, oh yeah, here I'm here to talk about mobile disruption and, you know, but man, look at these wearables, look at these set-top boxes, look at these smart speakers and, you know, like the Echo and and you you just talk to people and you get traction, you see what people are interested in, you see what's clicking. Um, VR and AR, other obvious ones. Um, it would have been more of a pivot, but at least still tech if I went blockchain, although I could have told that story because I have a database background. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not a database. I know it's not, but it, it, you could make the case. Um, so I could, I could have told a compelling story in any of those places, but I got sick of being on the leading edge of technology. And, uh, you know, because if you, if you write a book, it takes six months out of your life. Mm -hmm. And then if you write the book about technology a year later, no one's buying it. Right. And it's like, oh, that was a lot of effort and it was very beneficial at the time. I got tons of consulting work from, from my books, but you know, they don't sell anymore. Yeah. So I wanted something that was a little more evergreen and, um, you know, you know, something like pricing, like what could be more evergreen than that? So you summarized this, um, like football field into a phrase, which is, uh, you say you do the thing, you know, you get out and give some talks and blog. And I, I feel like we should unpack that a little bit because, um, you and I know what that means because what you're saying is you're doing the thing that self-made experts do, <laughs> which is you share what you're doing pretty much as you're doing it, right? You kind of work in oh, yeah. public, you, but I'm hoping you'll unpack that a little bit. Cause I think there's some folks who, who don't really intimately understand that. Um, and, and I, it's a little bit my take on it, but I think it's so important that it you do it as you're figuring it out, not later. Like, I think that's right. a key distinction and I'd love your thoughts on that. Yeah. So if you are on this bleeding edge of something, you know, you're on this bleeding edge of a new thing, there's, I think there is a reluctance to say anything in public. I think most people are reluctant to talk about it in public because they feel like they're not an expert yet. The way I look at it is nobody's an expert yet. This is brand new. Right. So I might as well be the first person whose blog post they read about it. And, and I don't, that came out very sort of self-promotionally, but it's like, but, but really it's like, I smash the keyboard so you don't have to, mm -hmm. you know, and it, I've always just loved turning on the light bulb for people. So if, so for example, if I was going to do this now, I would be like, I'd probably do something with, like TensorFlow JS, which is uh, my, and I, I barely, I'm basing this on the name alone. I imagine <laughs> that it's a library for people who know JavaScript, so JavaScript developers, to take advantage of Google's machine learning platform, TensorFlow. Yep. So what I would want to do is connect the dots for myself, like like what could I get out of this? What's a, what's a non-gimmicky gimmicky application of this? And what's a hello world? Is there any way that I can make this easy for other people? Because I like to think about things like, like, I, you know, I like things to be easy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't want it to be complicated. I'm very, very big on the 80, 20 rule. I don't need that extra 20%. That's like, yeah, that's not my, I'm not that type. It's good for some people. It's important for certain brands. It's not me though. And if I can just come up with, I, I have a proven track record of being the intro to guy. Right. So intro to FileMaker and web or intro to the uh, FileMaker API for PHP or intro to JQ touch or, intro, you know, whatever it is. And it's that thing that gives people who are like me, they're, they're like two weeks behind me. They're like, they're thinking about this. They're starting to hear about it. Maybe they'll look at it when they have time. Like, mm -hmm. oh, wait a second. Here's a screencast that Jonathan Stark did from a Starbucks with all the noise in the background <laughs> of, of like how to go from zero to 60 with a mobile website using JQ Touch. Like, mm -hmm. man, five minutes. I feel like I know how I know I could do this. And I see that it's easy. I just saw how easy it was. 
So if I was, you know, if I was going to do it again, it probably was like TensorFlow.js or not like Vue or React or, you know, I did some React stuff. I did a course in React. It wouldn't be that stuff. It's too obvious. It's too mainstream. I would want something that is that, that's not yet another front end thing. Like that's, to me, that's played out Yeah. Um, to, to my like excitement level. It, mm-hmm. it would be branching into voice or machine learning or blockchain or AR slash VR or one of these other adjacent technologies that's on the hype curve. Right. But for an audience who's feeling like they're getting left behind because, you know, they're still fighting about spaces versus tabs or whatever, or they've got so much work to do in their actual job that they can't keep up with, you know, career development or their skill development or whatever. So I would, I would try and put one foot in a new world like, you know, machine learning, mm-hmm. blockchains, so on and so forth. And one foot in the old world, which for me most recently was like JavaScript on mobile. Why is it important that the audience is feeling left behind? Why is, why is that part of the, like the recipe for you choosing what would be next if you were pursuing a more uh, tech focused direction? Uh, I mean, you're just buried in your feeds. Like it needs to be something people care about. And yeah. again, it's like, it's like, I'll smash the keyboard so you don't have to. So like, if I can, if I can do this, I'm going to get, I know I'm going to, I trust that I'm going to get some long-term benefit from it if it's my objective. So if my next big objective, you know, two, three-year objective, five-year objective Mm -hmm. is to go hardcore into machine learning. And and, and, and that has not happened to me. It's not going to happen to me. But if that did hit me the way that the web hit me and the way that the iPhone hit me, then I would be like, well, any content I create that tells a story over the course of the next two, three, five years about me being an expert in the, what did I say, blockchain or machine learning mm-hmm. space, whatever, anything that I can do, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pay off. So I'm just going to do as much free, helpful stuff as I can along the way to kind of test, see what resonates, see what's helpful, see what actually has a useful application it helps me stay on the cutting edge. So it's going to pay off for me at some point with like big consulting contracts. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, I'm going to give away stuff to people like me for free who are curious about this to the point where there might be some pain or might be some fear that they're getting left behind, but they don't have time to keep up and make them feel powerful by saying, look, it's, it's actually good news. It's actually not that hard yeah. you know, to understand. You know, when you think about sharing stuff that's like hot off the press and this is your goal is to establish expertise, how do you think uh, mistakes or um, you not knowing are evaluated by that audience? Oh, yeah, that's I don't really think about it. It's like I that's probably for the best that you don't. (laughs) Yeah, it's like. I wouldn't present myself as, I mean, it would be comical to present, well, I guess people do it, but it's, you know, like, it's like getting a, you know, a a recruiter being like, Hey, we're looking for someone with five years experience with like something that just came out two years ago. Yeah. 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 It's like, it's like, you don't want to come out and I don't know, posture like, um, a worldwide expert on the thing. Mm -hmm. It's, that would be comical in the first place, but whatever, I think you just sort of, just be transparent about it. It's like, you're just like, Oh, you know, Hey, I'm in, you know, I've, I've got like video, uh, videos on YouTube that I haven't checked in years, but you know, had hundreds of thousands of views that I recorded casually as a screencast in a Starbucks with terrible background noise, just mm-hmm. terrible quality. Mm-hmm. But it, it apparently in retrospect, I can see that it tapped into something like a, whatever the, the fear, whatever the, whatever the um, thing was that attracted people to it, the excitement about mobile, the feeling that like objective C developers were going to take over the spotlight from the web developers, mm-hmm. whatever the thing is, um, you can kind of, you know, I was in the community. It's really easy to feel that stuff. If you're in the community and you're paying attention, you can feel it coming. And I think the, the, I think anybody can just pick themselves, like just you be the one, right? That is the one that's just like, you know what? I am super excited about Apple TV. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go for it. And someday I'm sure I'll get I'll make money consulting for Netflix or something about Apple TV. And I'm just gonna bet on this platform or this technology or this thing, whatever it might be. 
and I'm just going to learn it and I'm going to share everything I learn as I learn it. And I'm just going to be totally honest about it. So if somebody says you're wrong, then I'm like, awesome pull request. You know what I mean? Like right. now I learned now in, what ends up happening is over time, all of these people telling you that you made a mistake here or there or whatever, they end up, that ends up being your school because you become this sort of central point, this nexus that everybody needs to report all the interesting news to. And so almost by saying, um, by putting yourself out there as someone who teaches this stuff, you're going to actually learn more than you would have otherwise because people bring it to you. So anything that become anything that happens, you know, you get a lot of emails like I'm sure you saw this already, but blah, Netflix just announced yada yada, and, and you know, yeah. integration with Apple TV or you know, Kleiner Perkins announced like a fund for people to build mobile apps. Like you end up, you can just sort of sit there and get smarter, and and be. I mean, it's perfect for a consultant. Like if you're going to sell consulting skills, you end up automatically knowing everything you need to know. You automatically end up knowing more than any. Hard, almost anybody else on the planet because it just comes to you automatically. I mean, there's, there's a, a way in which you're, you're these three things. You're the, the school, you're the platform, you're the teacher and you're the student all at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty common to like, for people to say, you know, you learn, learn the best by teaching. It, yeah. it's, it's totally true. I've seen it happen over and over in my life. Yeah, I'm interested in this, you know, do the thing, unpacking that because, uh, and I'm interested in the like introvert extrovert thing because it's pretty common for me to hear from people who self-identify as, as an introvert, as I do. And they'll say something like, oh, I could, you know, I just don't see myself um, sharing in this. And they'll name some specific way that to them is really intimidating. You know, I don't see myself doing YouTube videos or I don't see myself writing or whatever. So I'm always mm. interested to hear from folks who have done that, um, like what what kind of drove them to share. And it sounds like for you, it's kind of creating those light bulb moments for people. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I, I uh, I'm a compulsive sharer. You know, it's it's. Um, I know not everyone is. Mm -hmm. Like when I discover something, and it's kind of a web thing. Maybe maybe that's why I like the web, or maybe I'm like that because of the web. Mm. Um, but I, you know, I feel like, I feel like not sharing something that you learned, especially the hard way, the keyboard smashing is, is like mean because of all of the benefits that I've gotten over the years from bloggers and stack overflow and Google in general mm -hmm. and like all of these things. It's like, how can you not contribute back? Like what, like the perfectionism thing, the um, fear of it coming across as arrogant or like, oh, I'm an expert. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to create this video. I'm an expert. Yeah. Even if they're not presenting themselves that way, a lot of people I think feel like, well, I'm not an expert. I don't, my, my, whatever I just learned is not worth it mm -hmm. or it's already out there probably, or I don't know. I just feel like it's mean to not share it. And if, if it's a thing that I'm excited about, I just trust that well, not only am I going to get good karma from it, but I'll probably make a ton of money from it in, you know, a year or two. Yeah. Because then you're like, you're the name, like you're the only one, you're the worldwide expert. Like that's what a horizontal, total horizontal specialty. I'm, this is like horizontal specialization in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Show up early, be on the cutting edge, share, 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 create an audience, like be the, be the first name that anybody mentions when somebody needs somebody that does it. Yeah. Hoarders are but, So here's, here's the thing. Here's a couple of things. I feel like what you're getting at is like, how come people don't do this? And like, what can, what can the your listener do? I feel like the, there, there is sort of a perfection. I've seen a couple of things prevent people from sharing stuff. One is the perfectionism thing. Mm -hmm. Another is that they don't want to appear egotistical or some somehow like they think they're hot potatoes. Yeah. Uh, another thing is that they don't know what to pick. And to me, this is the scariest one because this is the one that I know how to help the least. How do you know, how do you recognize when you get excited about some new thing? Mm. And not, not like a sugar high type of shiny object thing, but like a real this thing is going to, is going to, uh, uh, maintain my interest for three to five years. Right. 
that's the trickiest thing i think that's the toughest thing to teach is like how to recognize when you're genuinely long-term excited about something yeah for sure so um what have you come up with on that just uh, kind of being sensitive to it mm -hmm. um it's it's but I, I haven't come up with, with I, I get back to all the terrible, like Tony Robbins type questions. What are you passionate about outside of work? You know, like, <laughs> like you know, like what, why do you get out of bed in the morning? And, and honestly, I've never found that to be effective. Although in several cases now, cause I've been doing the coaching type of stuff and pricing business coaching stuff for a couple of years now, I've had a number of people, it's been long enough that I've had a number of people come back to me and be like, damn, you were right back then uh -huh. because they, they flame out on this, like what they see is like, well, yeah, I'm really passionate about skiing yeah. or tennis or martial arts mm -hmm. or whatever it is, but I could never make money there. I, you know, that's not, that's not a good place for me to be, or it could be, it doesn't have to be vertical like that. It could be like, uh, it could be like, um, green, uh, energy or renewable energy, mm -hmm. or it, it could be whatever it could be yeah. a political event. I'm really passionate about that, but I could never make that my job or I could never make money doing that. Or I'm really into nonprofits and they're all broke. So I'll do this thing. That seems like a better opportunity. I'm going to put together a class on react. Right. Okay. And, and I, I can see that they're doing it because they're, they don't believe that they can't, they can't, they don't have that trust that in three years they're going to be glad they did it, that the karma is going to come back around and the consulting gigs are going to come in. Yeah. And who knows, they might be right. But um, the problem with picking the thing opportunistically and be like, Oh, react is hot right now or view is hot right now is that they actually don't care. And the shiny object syndrome kicks in and like, you know, three months later, one year later, they're like, Oh, there's a new shiny object that all the cool kids are using. So it's like, uh, it's tough. It's a, it's a hamster wheel. So I don't, but it's still, I, I haven't found a good way to, to convince someone to follow their passion. Yeah. You know, as my father used to say, maybe this has something to do with it. My dad used to say, find what you love and the money will follow. And I've always believed that. And it's worked out for me just fine. Yeah. There's, once you learn to trust that, you, there's a sort of loyalty that you cultivate to, whatever it is you've decided to focus on. Mm -hmm. I feel like it's, it works like any other relationship that way. You know, time, time really helps you become more um, solid in the relationship, more loyal. Hey, if, you trust your instincts more. If the fundamentals are there. You know, in the time we have left, um, I wanted to, let's see here, what did I want to do? Well, wanted to talk about your, your latest half pivot, or actually this is the one that's an entirely different pivot, different yeah, audience. Full pivot. Mm. Um, so like, how did that become the thing that you were passionate about and wanted to invest in? Again, I mean, I could, I could say, I could give you some rational answers like, um, like pricing being, evergreen like until we have some sort of universal basic income or like we're in the star star trek utopia post money society like everything's gonna have a price all, all day long so from a rational standpoint understanding how to price specifically services is about is evergreen and a thing as i can think of maybe weight loss is right up there i mean it's right up there mm -hmm. so you know that was you know but that but that's that's me rationalizing post facto because mm -hmm. I just got, I've always loved puzzles. I've always loved solving problems. I've always loved turning on the light bulb for people and, and teaching the sort of solution to the puzzle. I just always have, I don't know. I'm the oldest of five. Maybe that has something to do with it, but uh, pricing as I, the more I researched it and the more I practiced it and the more I, tried to take what I had learned and apply it to other people's very different situations, which was a, which was a huge leap. Uh, Cause like what worked for me has a lot to do with my personality and the way that, you know, in many other factors. And so for someone in a different scenario, like say, I don't have employees, somebody who has a bunch of employees, how do they do it? Right. So all of that stuff was just the most fascinating puzzle of all time. Like to me, pricing is 
people's buying behavior to me is like the most fascinating puzzle I've come across yet. And spending time researching it, looking into it, figuring out what, what is going on there. It's just endlessly fascinating to me. I, I, it's hard for me to imagine getting sick of it. So I know that that will sustain me through at least three years of joyful research, if you want to mm-hmm. put it like that, just mm-hmm. like completely having fun going down the rabbit hole. And, you know, and, and along the way, I've sort of found a mission for myself, which I, I think unilaterally across the board, anybody who sells services by the hours is doing a disservice to themselves and their clients. It seems like a wrong and I'd like to write it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, ridding the world of hourly billing becomes a very easy um, sort of rallying cry, you know, ditching hourly. And I know that, that I can fund that mission. So the, the trick is find a way to fund the mission. Mm-hmm. So like if this is the mission to like learn about pricing so that I can turn on the biggest light bulb I've ever turned on, which would be a cultural change in the services industry. Imagine right. that. Yeah. And having it not be weird for people to be like, uh, you know, for people to say, I don't have an hourly rate, you know, it'd be like, that would be amazing to me. Like if that was on my tombstone, I'd be a happy guy. Yeah. So the question becomes, how do I make enough money so that I can keep trying to achieve that mission or at least start a trend that would eventually end up there? I think that there's a lot in what you've just said. One of the things that sticks out to me is, um, there, there's a mix of like uh, investing and um, r- not rent seeking is the wrong term for it, but you know, like how, how can I self fund this basically? How can I bootstrap this thing so that I can continue to invest in it? Like part of the investment is your own expertise, right? Your own ability to turn on the light bulb at scale mm-hmm. for an entire profession. Um, so, you know, h- how do you, how do you, uh, balance those two things because am I right in guessing that you could probably make more money if you just dedicated yourself full-time to something that you're bored with? Oh yeah. I could open a chain of laundromats and make more money. (laughs) Okay. I mean, who wants to do that? Not me. um, Someone does, but not me. Someone does. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not like a straight up. So like, I'm not, uh, we're talking about the missionary mercenary thing here. Yes. No, I mean, yeah, I guess so. I guess we kind of are. Yeah. I'm I'm more on the, on the missionary scale of things. Mm -hmm. If you just want to make money, if you're like, and and I'm not against this, it's just not my personality type, but someone told me a story recently of like, you know, like someone saying like, Oh, fidget spinners are like a thing. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to jump into that. And, you know, I, I know how to create, you know, I've got supply chain connections in China I know how to do Facebook ads. I'm going to spin up a landing page with a cute domain name. I'm going to capitalize on this trend. And then I'm going to completely abandon it as soon as the fad is over. And I'm going to jump to like t-shirts about dabbing or something or whatever the latest, you know, I'm already two years behind probably, but, but <laughs> you know, that's fine. Like, because I think there is an art to that. There is an art to that. Yeah. And the thing that that person actually cares about is, you know, maximizing investment, return on investment, you know, being like, but I don't consider myself a business person almost, I almost said at all, but I know I am a business person to a certain extent, Yeah. but it's really not, I'm not trying to, to business. You know what I mean? I, like I, I want to fund my education, I guess, if you want to look at it like that, it's like, I want to fund my obsessions. Yeah. Is another way to look at it. So I'm obsessed with pricing right now. It wasn't like I had another, it wasn't like there was another one that maybe I could have pursued. It, it stood out to me as obvious. I was finding myself buying books on it. I was, you know, reading about it. I was interviewing people about it, uh, you know, talking to people about it. People are asking me about it. It was what I wanted to talk about. So it was pretty obvious. And then the thing is like, okay, well, how can I make enough money to support my lifestyle and grow into the future? And then it becomes this exercise of like, okay, packaging up what expertise I do have in ways that I can leverage and that scale. And that's what I said earlier about like before I was pure B2B and I just sold one thing, which was, you know, custom engagements, like custom project engagements or advisory retainers that were sort of open-ended. Those are really the only two things I sold. 
and they don't scale at all. Like it's, it's like you do it for one person or one client and there's nothing, there's almost nothing repeatable about it. And even the landscape changes so fast that it's almost like the stuff you're learning isn't that useful in a year. So it's just nothing evergreen about it. It was very high touch and low leverage. So now the, the reason I feel more B2C now, even though I still am selling to business owners, is that, that uh, it's much easier to leverage where I can package up expertise in ways that are very low touch for me, easy to sell, um, easy to afford uh, for people who are early in their journey. Say like, like people who are thinking about freelancing or in their first year of freelancing, mm-hmm. you can buy the freelancer's roadmap. It's like 50 bucks and it's going to tell you everything you need to know at this stage to yeah. get to the next stage. So if you have enough of those things, you start to collect them together and you, you just listen to the people that are talking to you and they're like, man, you know, I'd love to, I wish I could afford your private coaching, but that's totally out of, out of um, my budget right now. And I'll say like, well, what would be in your budget? And be like, well, maybe I could probably afford like 300 bucks. And I'll say to myself, well, what can I do for 300 bucks to help this person? Hmm. Maybe people like them, you know, maybe it's group coaching, maybe it's a video course, maybe it's the pricing seminar, maybe it's whatever, some other book. And you just get into conversation. You're just having conversations all the time about the same thing, the importance of having that long-term objective and that long-term obsession or passion or mission or purpose. You're always talking about the same thing. So over time, if you're paying attention at all, you're going to get a bigger audience and they're going to tell you what they want. <laughs> and so you can then go make it and, uh, and then use that to fund your continued progress. I feel like I'm committing a crime against the audience here, Jonathan. I um, squeeze this in between two meetings and so I've got to go. <laughs> I feel so bad because there's so much good stuff there. Uh, I don't need to summarize it for folks. They can listen again. Um, I just, gosh, I want to say thank you for, um, sh- you know, showing up here and just answering all my nosy questions and, and, um, teaching folks something valuable. No, so, no problem. My pleasure. Okay. With people sending questions, we can do a QA episode to follow up. Yeah. Um, where would you point folks who would be interested in learning more about what you're up to? Uh, I would say if, if dear listener, if you bill by the hour, then I would say go to valuepricingbootcamp.com and take that. It's like a free seven-day email course. Just go do that and get exposed to it. Um, if if you don't do if you don't build by the hour, then you could just go to jonathanstark.com. But all you're going to read about is me telling you to ditch hourly billing. So uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, that's about it. Value valuepricingbootcamp.com is the best place to go. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks for having me.